being sovereign in the world that's chaotic. Lord, we look to you in everything we do. I just bless that you open our hearts and open our ears to receive what you have for us today. I thank you and I praise your amazing name. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, welcome, Marcus, for some announcements. Morning. Morning. My name is Mark Klepsig. I serve on the board here at the church. And I just want to welcome you. Uh, whether you're here in person with us this morning or uh, joining us online from home, welcome. Uh, you can find the song lyrics and the listening guide and our communication card, uh, connection card there in uh, civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Um, there's also a few paper copies of those types of things at a table here on my left, uh, as well as uh, offering envelopes and some kids' worksheets, or if you're just a kid at heart, you want to color, those are right there. Um, if you're our guest this morning, uh, we have a free gift for you. It's a book that calls, is called How Good is Good Enough? And so that's available at our guest resource table. I encourage you to pick one of those up. That's just our gift to you, and thank you for joining us this morning. Um, so at this time of year, lots of us are looking for ways that we can give and serve, and an excellent opportunity is... Uh, a project called Operation Christmas Child. It's organized by a non-denominational Christian group called Samaritan's Purse. And uh, what they do, they provide spiritual and physical help to hurting people uh, all over. Uh, they'll respond to um, natural disasters and that type of thing. This, this particular um, event is, is an exciting way for us to reach kids' hearts across the world. So we can pack shoe boxes full of uh, some approved types of candy, toys, uh, school supplies, all kinds of things. And for some kids, this is the only gift that they're going to get. Uh, Samaritan's Purse will also include a presentation of the gospel and just explain who Jesus is and um, really meet uh, some deep needs. And um, so those shoe boxes, uh, green and red shoe boxes, are available at the table over here along with some other information. So I encourage you to check that out. Next week is the collection week. So next Sunday is the day when we bring those back. So today's the last day to pick up a box. I encourage you to, to look for that opportunity. All right. Well, once again, we're glad that you're here. I want to welcome up Rick Durst as he uh, gives his message called Carry Heaven's Keys. It's good to be with you, see you face to face. It's pretty exciting to be out here again, even though you might be a little bit chill. I thought about giving up my coat, but then I would be coat, so uh, maybe I'll bring an extra one next week, uh, just in case. But if the sun keeps coming this way, and I think it will, uh, and I don't, of course, that would mean I need to speak for about an hour and a half. That's too long, don't you think? Yeah, that's so too. Uh, let me invite you to open to Matthew chapter 16, and those of you that are watching um, online, uh, get a piece of paper. If you already have a piece of paper, you're in, uh, you're in great shape. Or if you have um, electronic paper. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how you take notes. I use Evernote to do stuff. But uh, an alternate title for this sermon is, um, How Does Jesus Spell Church? So if you could put down, working vertically, Spell just the word church, C-H-U-R-C-H, 
That's really the outline for the message that I want to share with you. Now, a trivia question. Oh, thank you so much, James. I appreciate it. Um, trivia question. What is the symbol of uh, the Roman Catholic Vatican? Anybody know that online? Just whisper it to the person next to you. What is the symbol of the papacy? Anybody know? Keys, exactly right. There's two keys, usually crossed like this. I didn't notice if they're gold and silver. That sounds pretty good to me, so extra credit for you. Um, but that comes from the passage we're about to look at. It's a passage called the Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we'll get into it in a minute in verse 19. Uh, typically, uh, churches like ours avoid this verse uh, for two reasons. One, uh, it seems like the Roman Catholic Church has first dibs on it yeah, because it has that symbol. And the second is, if it's true, if it's really true, it might be the most terrific and terrifying verse in the Bible. Um, it'd be a little like somebody walking up and giving you the keys to a Ferrari that's parked out in the parking lot. And you're supposed to go out and drive it with that much power, that much beauty, um, that much prestige. Well, this verse is beyond that exponentially when we get to it, this passage about the keys of the kingdom. You know, you can always tell who you really trust, who's an insider, because they typically have the keys to your apartment or the keys to your car or the keys to your house. Well, in this passage, it sounds like God the Son is giving to those that follow him the keys of heaven, the household keys to heaven. That means we can come and go, and also we have the opportunity to help people come in themselves. But, of course, if you can open it, you're also responsible for closing it. I saw a wonderful little a video called Vaticano, and there are actually 10 key carriers for the Vatican. Uh, so the Vatican Museum, the Vatican Library, uh, St. Peter's, the Sistine Chapel, all of that are opened and closed by these 10 guys. There's five that open in the morning and five that close at night. And it so happens there are 2,970 keys. I suppose they divide them up because can you imagine carrying that many keys? That would be quite a jingle. Um, well, we want to look at some of those keys uh, as we plow into this together. Now, I want to say something bad news, so get a grip on yourself. This passage kind of reads like it's a final exam. So I hate to bring up that word. Some of you may be facing exams. I hope you're ready for those and do exceedingly well. Uh, but Jesus, uh, well, let's start in verse um, 15. So, Matthew chapter 16, um, verse, let's start verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, now, that may not mean anything to you, but if you, you know, looked and located uh, Jerusalem and then looked a little bit uh, west towards the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and you find Tel Aviv, if you go about an inch and a half north of there on my size map, uh, you'll be in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. 
And so it's, it's a distance from the crowds, so to speak. It's a lovely place. And so Jesus has taken his, his, uh, his followers there, and he begins to ask them questions. Well, really, just one big, fat question. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then here comes the real question. But who do you say that I am? I remember one time uh, a presenter, he said, you know, how you answer that question probably tells people more about who you are than who Jesus is. Um, but Peter gives a very interesting answer. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now that word Messiah uh, often, probably in your translation, might say Christ, and that's the Greek word for Messiah. If you speak Hebrew, it'd be Mosek. Um, it's, the, it's the one who is promised by God to restore all the promises that he'd ever made to Israel, and it will come through the lineage of David. So Jesus has a lot of titles that he, he accumulates. Um, son of David, meaning that he's that promised one. Um, and that's who Peter is announcing. Uh, who do you say that I am? Uh, and then look at Jesus' response, verse 16. Um, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, my day job is teaching at a, sem a graduate school, theological graduate school. And I've been waiting and waiting to write on somebody's exam. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You didn't think of this yourself, but God has revealed it to you. Um, what would you think if a professor wrote that on your paper? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Well, the C word here, and Jesus is so quite uh, excited. It's confession of Christ and his cross. Confession of Christ, that's the C word. Um, and by the way, it's, it's not a good answer. It's not a full answer if you just confess Christ without his cross. Because if you jump down, if Peter got an A on this part of the exam, he, he really flunks the back part. Because it's verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. Oh yeah, and be raised from the dead. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Have you ever pulled your professor aside when the professor was wrong and corrected him? Uh, this didn't work out that well for Peter. Um, and, uh, oh Lord, this is never going to happen to you. But he turns to Peter and then says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concern, but about man's. Now, I have also wanted to write that on somebody's paper. Get thee behind me, Satan. But I haven't done that either. Um, so Peter goes from A to F, you know, so quickly. Uh, sorry for that. Uh, because the reason Christ came was to show the Father's love for what was lost because of our sin. And that he would make a way for us to be able to know God forever face to face. He would bring to us the purpose we lose, the, the significance we lose when we follow ourselves. Uh, 
But in order to do that, the price that had to be paid was the life of Jesus on the cross. Uh, so we must confess the cross. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. I can't do it myself. I've tried. It doesn't work. The Bible says it won't work. Um, so Peter answers, you're the Christ, the son of a living God. So uh, about church, uh, membership, belonging, uh, depends on the individual, yours, mine, willingness to acknowledge and act upon our need for the Savior. Um, in a way, I guess you could say it, sometimes they talk about a believer's church or a regenerate church. To be a part of this body, you have to be born again, born a living. Now, uh, I, I know some people who are responsible for uh, managing the ethical decision-making for organ donation. And I've often thought about that. You know, when an organ is made available, it has to be, you know, fresh, has to be living. Sorry, I guess I'm a little gory here. I've never, ever thought about somebody going down the grocery store in the meat section and shopping for a new organ. You know, because those are dead. It has to be alive. It must be living. It must be vital if it's going to give me life. And, and that's what we're talking about here. We, by faith in Jesus, we become the body of Christ. Well, we've got to come to new life in Christ to get into that. So C is about how we become a part of that. H, uh, when Peter responds, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for this was not revealed to you, but by my Father in heaven. So hearing, there's the H in church, hearing the voice of God. Now, this sounds spooky. It sounds unusual. Um, you know, for you to be able to say, I heard God speak to me. God speaks to me. You know, in our Western culture at this time, a secular worldview, uh, to say something like that seems peculiar, seems odd. But it's not. Because there is a God, and he speaks. And if he speaks, we can hear, and we can have conversation with him. And that's what Jesus came to bring us. That kind of conversation. Um, sorry, I forgot my scotch tape this morning. Usually you can tape this on here, and uh, nobody had a stapler, so it's going to go like that. Uh, so don't be distracted. Um, so let's get some good theology going here. Um, either you have good thinking about God, or you have stinking thinking about God. So what's some good thinking? Well, we are supernaturalists. Um, there's more than nature. There's super nature. There's more than physical. There's metaphysical. There's a beyond. There's one who is beyond. So we are supernaturals. We believe there is a living God, like Peter confessed. Also, we are revelationists. Now, maybe that's a label you never put on yourself. That means that this God chooses to disclose himself to us, to invite us into relationship with him. So when we call this book uh, to be produced by Revelation, um, it's that God speaks, that God chooses to disclose himself. Now, I know, especially ladies, you're careful about who you reveal yourself to who you give your phone number to, and you should be. You're cautious about that. Um, 
But when you choose to give your phone number to some guy, um, it's because you're open to a relationship. Um, and this is what God is. You know, if there's a heavenly Facebook and you give your life to Jesus today, guess what God's going to post? I'm in relationship with you. I'm in a relationship with you. Third, conversionists. That means that when God speaks to me, when, when I'm reading this book and, and I hear from God through this book, it's going to change my course. Conversionist means a change of heart and mind. And we're conversionists. And if you look at the history of mission work around the world, where someone shares a conversionist theology, two things have happened. The church springs up, and the whole culture rises up. There's a lift that comes with the gospel. Uh, there is in uh, southwest, southern part of India, a, a, a state, a district called Kerala. And this has been a mystery for the sociologists, you know, the governmental sociologists in India for some time because the people in Kerala live longer than the norm in India. The people in Kerala on the have a higher level of education than the norm in India. Um, the people in Kerala um, are economically better off. What's causing that? Why does that boat in the harbor float higher than the others? Well, it turns out that that was a special place where um, believing missionaries went who had a conversionist theology about Christ that you can change, you can be born again. They were there and did wonderful work, and because of that work, hospitals were started, universities were started, and it lifted the whole place, and it's still, that lift is still there uh, because of the conversionist theology. So we've got C, we've got H. Um, let's go to U uh, in church. Uh, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, if you read Greek, you know that he's saying, you are Petros, which means a rock, and on this Petra, Petros, Petra, Jesus is making a play on words here using Peter's name, I will build my church. Now, if you want to be a great um, interpreter of scripture, pay attention to the pronouns. Is the pronoun you? Is a pronoun, you know, first person, second person, third person. Pay attention there. I will build my church. You know, sometimes people get angry with the church. And when they're angry with the church, listen to their pronoun, because they'll start saying, down there at your church, or down there at their church. At my church, you know, you can see there's some distancing going there. You know what? I don't want to be a member of your church. You shouldn't want to be a member of my church. What we want to do is be a member of Jesus' church, his church. He has the right to be the boss. And we know through scripture what the boss wants, and we can please him. My church. He's not going to build your church or my church. He's going to build his church, the body of Christ. My church. Such an important notation uh, in terms of the pronoun uh, that's there. So, now... We know from uh, the rest of the New Testament, especially Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the church 
is quite an organization, and it's a balance between um, gifted pastoral leadership, I'll call it, and gifted membership. If you really look carefully, you'll discover a truth that's sometimes called the priesthood of the believers, which means that members are not merely members, they're ministers. In Ephesians 4, it says, these persons who are ministers and equippers and pastors, their job is to equip the members as ministers. Um, so what we really should do at CIV is go out into the parking lot. Now, it's not our parking lot, but if we went out in the parking lot, we should put clergy parking only, minister parking only, on all of the parking spaces and see which one of us has the nerve to park there. According to scripture, you can park there because you're called to be a minister, to minister to the people that are around you. Minister them in prayer, minister them in care, minister them in word. That's our calling. Now, I teach at a theological graduate school. However, this is really the theological graduate school. This is the place where you're to be equipped to go out and do ministry in the world in the name of the Lord, in the power of the Spirit of Christ. Uh, so on one side, we have gifted ministers. Now, you don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to be like anybody else. What is your gift set? What, what brings you joy? What causes your passion, your hurt? That'll guide you to your ministry. You know the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? Is it your parachute or my parachute? I can, I can never keep that straight. Anyway, it's the Job Hunter's Bible. Um, it's a secular book. It uh, comes out every year. I think it's like in its 23rd edition. I wish I could write a book that would go through 23 editions. I wish I could write a book that 23 people would buy. But anyway, having said that, uh, in the back part of the book, there's some green pages. I think they might be pink now. But... Um, it's, it's how to find your mission in life. And Bole, he says that the way to find your mission in life is first, you know, find the vector of the thing that when you're doing that thing, you love doing it so much, you forget what the time is. Um, I have a friend uh, who's Japanese, and he, he loves to make sushi. And he's really gifted. He really works at it, and he enjoys it. And uh, so Ishii, he, he loves, that's his passion. On the other side, he's always had a heart to want to share the gospel of Jesus with Muslims. And so he and his family moved to Israel, and they moved into an apartment building and where a lot of Muslims were living there. And there was no connection. Uh, he couldn't really make friends with them. Uh, they thought it was very strange. Here's a Japanese guy in Israel trying to talk to Arabs. What's the deal? Um, and so he just said, I'm just going to make sushi tonight. And he started making sushi. And, you know, it has a little smell to it. It's fresh. But it has a little smell to it. Who knew that Israeli Arabs are addicted to sushi? And they started lining up his doors, uh, at his door, and making friends with him. And it was terrific. So now, what's happened is just what Bole said would happen. His greatest passion has connected 
with his greatest compassion, and now he's found his mission. If you will just admit what you really enjoy doing and acknowledge what hurt is really on your heart, try to figure out where they intersect, and you'll find your mission. Um, and that's, that's the membership side. The leadership side in the church, their job is to be orchestra leaders. You show up. You're the instruments of the music. And their job is to help you, organize you, lead the music so that you can make the music of the Lord in whatever God has called you to do. So we're now looking for a pastor. And that pastor needs to understand uh, who the Lord is, obviously, trust in the scriptures, love people. Um, the key of a pastor is not to love the people he wishes he had, but to love the people he actually has. To love you and to love them and to equip you to be effective in ministering to them. Um, that's what we're praying for, that kind of pastor um, who will love us like that. So the U is under Christ's authority. I never told you what the U stands for. Under Christ's authority. So if we will conduct ourselves together under his authority, amazing things will happen because as he builds our church. You know, CIV is, just, is doing fantastic here in Alhambra despite COVID, despite everything. And it's because Christ is building his church. I love coming here. It's the best 60 minutes of my week except when I'm with my granddaughter. Um, because Christ is building this place, he's at work here. I'm excited about that. Last uh, letters. Um, R is for resist hellish ways and strengths. Now, Jesus said, if I'm building my church, guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, that's a, a Middle Eastern way. The gates were the place where the powers were that organized the city, that defend the city. You go to the gates. You have a, a legal issue. You have an economic issue. You go to the gates, and that's where the leadership were. So, you know, hell central cannot prevail against the church if we'll do it his way. Now, if you go a couple of pages later in, in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll get to chapter 18. And in chapter 18, we'll, we'll talk about this after Thanksgiving, but it says if, if, if somebody offends you, and it happens, it happens, go to them alone and be reconciled. If we'll practice the reconciliation ways of Jesus with each other, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. If we'll do what Jesus says, he will build his church and nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, in some churches, the biggest issue is security, keeping the lights on and so forth. But actually, that's not the plan. Just like Jesus did not come to survive, he came to be spent. What's the job of a seed? Job of a seed is find a hole and fill it, right? That's our job, to pour out our life. The job of CIV is not survival, it's to be spent, to be poured out. Um, you know, a lot of churches start out as risk takers. And, and, you know, those of you who have been here from the beginning, you know all the risks that you took to do this. Well, but look at this. Look at this fellowship. Look at all this equipment. Look at this band. Um, you know, when I watch Zane, you know, playing the drums, I thought, you know, 
you never know who's going to show up at this church. <laughs> you know, I might see him on MTV. I don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. Um, and that's the Lord. He calls out talent. And I love that about him. So if a church gets caught up in caring for what it's achieved, eventually it will go from caretaker to undertaker. And there are a lot of churches that are folding because they thought, forgot what their job is. Their job is to risk take and to be spent. And that, that happens individually as well. Um, so now, let's go to the last two. I haven't talked about the keys. Um, so the CH is carrying heaven's keys. That's where you get the CH from. Um, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This really is the... It's an unbelievable verse. Um, if you've got your keys handy... Um, you know, this, this key is worth like $350. You know, keys don't look like they used to, used to look. Um, this looks more like the key. This is an entrance key to get into my office. This is the key to get into my house, an entrance key into my house. And this key gets me into one of my treasure boxes. So you have entrance keys and you have these other keys that get you to treasures. If you were to take all the questions Jesus was asked, you know, questions like, um, like Nicodemus at night, when this leader, this, of the, one of the key Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, he, he wants to know how to get into the heaven. And he comes at night, maybe because there weren't as many people asking Jesus questions. He comes at night because maybe he doesn't want anybody else to know that he's asking this question of Jesus. Um, and he asks them, how do you get into heaven? Uh, the rich young ruler, he, he wants to know how he can get into heaven. They ask entrance questions or they ask ethical questions. Entrance and ethical. And the way Jesus is talking here, um, he's going to give us the keys of the kingdom. He's going to give us the scriptures so that we can help people get into heaven and live in a heavenly way. Those are the ethical questions. So it's important for you and I to study the scriptures. Um, in Matthew 23, uh, there are seven woes. You know, at an educational institution and hospitals, uh, accreditation is everything. And if you lose your accreditation, you have to close the doors. You can't accept students. You can't accept patients. Well, Jesus basically says to the leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, and so forth, woe is you because you have the keys of the kingdom. And you not only don't go in yourself, but you prevent other people from coming in. So there are seven woes there. And basically what I think he's doing, he's saying, you know, I'm the Lord of heaven. Give me the keys back. Give them back. And so now he's got an arm of keys, and he turns to us, and he gives them to us. He trusts us to carry the entrance and the ethical keys, the keys 
that are about evangelism and sharing the gospel with others, and the key is about how to live in a royal way, a kingly way, a giving way, God's way in this world. That's why we take so much time to look at Scripture and study the Scripture. To be key carrying Christians. Remember one time uh, walking to work and uh, there was a kind of a strip mall right before I got to my office and there were people lined up in front of the store. Now if you I don't, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you see people lining up the store, what's your first thought? Must be a sale, right? I don't want to miss out. I may never go over there. So I started to go over there so I could get in on the sale and then I realized, oh, those people work there, but they don't have a key. They're not key carriers. Now, I had two brothers that were in the grocery industry, and the grocery store, if you get promoted up to sort of supervisor level, you become a key carrier. And I have one brother who never got promoted, and the other brother who said, I don't want to be a key carrier. So he, he's a public school teacher now. Um, but if you are going to embrace Christ, you need to know what Jesus got in mind for you. He wants you to be his key carrier. You'll have the privilege of helping people come to Christ. Um, let me tell you about one entrance key, and I'll kind of close with this. Um, in Romans chapter 10, it says, If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, if you believe in your heart, inside, in your decision-making, intellectual capacity, you believe it. I mean, how else could we know for sure in a way that we would have no doubt that the way of Christ is worth everything? I think raising Jesus from the dead is a pretty good way. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled back. Jesus has appeared. He's risen. He lives. He's Lord. If you believe that in your heart, that even though he was crucified on that Roman cross, and they verified his death by stabbing him with the spear, they buried him in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, for three days, and then he rose. If that's true... It's the most important truth in the world. It's the hinge of history. And it is just right. I'll never be ashamed to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. If you believe in your heart, the scripture says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead, then confess Jesus as Lord. If you believe in your heart, you will confess him. That's an entrance key. Will you use it? Will you put it in? Will you put your life in? Will you call him Lord? Because he is risen for you. He's risen. Now, others of you here are like me. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I would say one half of the keys on my key ring, I don't know what they're for. It bothers me. But I'm afraid if I pull them off, I'll find out what they're for and I don't have them. Um, 
There's something I'm more afraid of. You know, I've been working at this book for 40 years, and I'm still finding stuff out every day. And I'm just worried that I'm going to miss something, and I'm going to miss someone because there's a key in here that they need right now. And I don't know what the key is for. I don't know what the key is. If you are a follower of Christ, be a student of Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate and unzip the Scripture so that you can understand the truth and illuminate you, is the word the Bible likes to use. The light goes on. Um, and it's his job to make appointments for you to get the right key to the person who needs it in his timing. So all I have to do is walk with the Lord, and that is on him. If I study the scripture and pray and be alert, God will line me up. That's the keys of the kingdom. I hope your life jingles with those keys. <laughs> and people know when you walk up like those key carriers at the Vatican, you walk up with 2,970 keys, they will know you got the key to help them get in. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how could you trust us so much? How could you hand us over the keys? But you've done it, and you put your spirit within us, so we'll have a heart to let people in and to go in ourselves and enjoy all that you have for us uh, in this heavenly life. Lord, uh, if there's a person here who has yet to walk through the door, the entrance door into the kingdom in Christ's name. Lord, we pray your spirit will convict them and that they'll make it known, that they'll communicate that with, uh, through the card, the contact card, um, and others, Lord, that you're calling uh, into your work and your ministry. They're tired of being spectators. They want to be participants. Lord, may they make that known too. Lord, we pray this and praise this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rick. I, we're going to take some time to reflect on that right now. And as Rick was mentioning, if you have next step that the Lord is bringing to mind, um, I encourage you to fill those out in your connection card online and let us know so we can be praying for you and help follow up with that. Before we sing this song, let's do some just praying and thinking about the keys that our God has given us. If we're using them right, now we can further and better use them.
next week.